We're in the middle of this series titled Made to Persuade. And this is a series about how when we choose to follow Jesus, we make a decision to, to step across that line of faith and say, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. I, I give my life to Jesus. And God saves us. He, he saves us. He transforms us. And as part of that transformation, God does something and makes us into something that we weren't prior to being saved. And that is, He turns us into fishers of men. Jesus, the way He called His disciples, He said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Paul used a very interesting phrase. Uh, He used the word persuade. Paul would, would say, because it was a different context, Paul would say persuaders of people. Jesus said fishers of men because he was talking to fishermen. Paul was the, the intellectual. Paul was the one who, who reasoned with people. And so he would say uh, that Jesus has called us, and, and not just to save us, but to make us persuaders of people. And uh, so in, in other parts of the Bible, we might hear the, or see, rather, see the phrase soul winners. We're made fishers of men, persuaders of people. We're made soul winners. The Bible says that he who wins souls is wise. So that's another biblical phrase. But the, the title of the series is Made to Persuade, and it's based on 2 Corinthians 5.11, which reads like this, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. This is Paul writing. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We talked about that last week. And, uh, but last week I also uh, explained that the word try, when Paul says we try to persuade others, that word try refers to the effort that is necessary to persuade others. Persuading others is hard work. How many of you know that's true? Persuading others of, of anything can be hard work. So when Paul is saying we try to persuade others, he's not talking about like, okay, I'm just going to give it a try. Uh, he's not talking about an attempt. Try can be an attempt. He's not talking about an attempt. He's talking about effort. We work hard. In fact, the New Living Translation says, we work hard to persuade others because it takes great effort to persuade people of anything, but especially to persuade them to follow Jesus. That takes great effort. And the reason it does is because we're fighting against the the forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of darkness, forces that would rather keep people blinded and keep people binded and, or, or bound to keep people living in spiritual darkness. This is why in a conversation with non-Christians, you can talk about any topic under the sun, pretty much with ease, but the moment you bring up Jesus or the church, which is the bride of Jesus, or just Christianity in general, then the whole situation just turns awkward. And we're like, oh, that's, that's awkward. And we want to give up. And Paul would say, don't give up. Work hard at this. Fight through the distractions and the spiritual attacks because lives are at stake for eternity. Paul would tell us, keep trying to persuade others to follow Jesus. Keep working hard to persuade others to follow Jesus. That's what he said. We work hard. We try to persuade, to persuade others. Now last week, I spoke to you about how a life that 
is fully surrendered to God is the foundation that we need. The foundation upon which we can then persuade others to follow Jesus. Because our message and our lives are connected. We, we, can't, we try sometimes to, to disconnect those, but we can't. Our lives, the way we, we live our lives and what we say, those two things are connected. And uh, I told you the story last week about a girl who once asked me why I was different from the other guys that she knew. I was spending a six-week summer term at a university near our home where we lived as part of a program, a federal program, that's like a college preparation program for first-generation college students. So it was only for first-generation kids. In other words, parents whose kids whose parents hadn't attended college and low income, and so we, I fit those two. And so I was part of this program. And so we were living in a dorm for that summer so we could get used to dorm life and college life. And uh, she came up to me one time and, and said, uh, hey, I'm just curious why, you know, she started, she basically asked, why are you different from the other guys? The other guys are vulgar. They talk, you know, they're just, yeah, you're different. And, uh, you know, and I told you that story last week because we were talking about a surrendered life and how people notice how we live. And I remember that's the first time I thought, wow, somebody's watching. Uh, you know, uh, in that context, it, it just really uh, surprised me, you know, how, how, we, how we live can either help us or hurt us when we're trying to do what we're called to do, to persuade people to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I told you last week that there's more to that story. And, and the rest of that story is that even though she gave me, by asking that question, a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with her, to answer that question directly and to give her the message of the gospel, how the gospel changes lives and it transforms us, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do know I didn't tell her about Jesus. I didn't bring up Jesus. I didn't bring up what, what God does in our lives. I mean, there's so many ways I, I, could, have, I could have answered that question. You know, it was just, she, she lobbed me a softball and I whiffed. I missed. Swing and a miss. You know, like I didn't even, didn't even swing actually. You know, I could, have, I could have said so many things. I could have said, well, you know, we, our family kind of grew up differently. We never partied on weekends, you know, we, and then just kind of segue to why we were different, why we grew up. We actually grew up going to church. There's so many ways I could have answered that question. It was just like, I didn't bring it up. And, and that's something that I regret uh, to this day. But, but here's, here's the point. A surrendered life, as I said to you last week, is a foundation, but a surrendered life is not enough. To persuade others, it takes a clear presentation of the gospel. For whatever reason, as unworthy as I am, God chose to use my life, that somebody would notice that at that time, I was a sophomore in high school, to give me an opportunity to open the door to share clearly the message of the gospel, and I didn't. A surrendered life is great, but it's not enough. We persuade with a surrendered life, but we persuade also with a clear message. And that's really the big idea of what I want to talk to you the remainder of our time Today, what I want to talk to you about today, the big idea of my message this morning is, is this. Living out the gospel is necessary, but it isn't enough. We must persuade others by articulating clearly the message of the gospel. Because we persuade with our lives, with a surrendered life, but we also persuade with a clear message. And so this is what 
Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, we read verse 11. Now look at verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task. Right? Task. Because we have to work at persuading people. It's a task. It's, it's, a, it's a job, as it were. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us his wonderful message of reconciliation. Now let's talk about this. Have you ever heard this quote? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've seen it on social media. I've seen it on Facebook. People put it up. Preach the gospel at all gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And like, I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, makes sense. You know, the point is like, people are watching your life and, and, and it's, it's a good point. And it's, this quote is usually attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. The only problem is that St. Francis of Assisi never said that. That's one of those you know, to use a, a, a contemporary term, fake news. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, the, the, the point is, it is necessary. It's always necessary. St. Francis of Assisi was trying to teach the Franciscan monks that they should preach with, with, their, with their deeds, with their acts. But his point was that their acts should match their words. He wasn't saying, only use words if you need to. If you don't, if it's not necessary, don't. No, he was saying, you need both. There's no dichotomy between preaching with your acts and preaching with your words. We need both. And we need to use words to persuade people. I told you last week, and let me review again, that Paul's ministry was one of persuading others to follow Jesus. That was his ministry. In the book of Acts, we find time after time that he was persuading people. For example, in Acts 17, 4, he went to Thessalonica. He went into the synagogue. The Bible says three Sabbaths in a row. And he persuaded, the Bible says, he persuaded some of the Jews to follow Jesus. Then he went to Corinth. And in Corinth, we don't know how long he was there. But as long as he was there, he went every Sabbath to the synagogue the Bible says in Acts 18.4, he was trying to persuade the Jews to follow Jesus, Jews and Greeks. Then he went to Ephesus in Acts 19. He went to Ephesus. He went into the synagogue and Acts 19.8 says that he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. Then he went to Caesarea. He was actually taken to Caesarea because he had been arrested in Jerusalem for inciting a riot with his with his preaching. So he was taken to Caesarea where he defended himself against these charges before King Agrippa. And he not only, he was so intelligent that he simultaneously defended himself and he laid out the gospel before the king. And uh, we read in, in Acts that the king's famous response was, do you think you can persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time? 
Because the king knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to persuade him to follow Jesus. And, and Paul's response, well, well, in a short time or a long time, I want to persuade you and everybody else who's listening to me. So that was really his ministry. is a ministry of persuasion. And that's our ministry too. That's our calling. We're called to persuade others to follow Jesus. Our ministry is not to persuade God to love the sinners. God already loves the sinners. Our ministry is not to plead with God. Please love my unsaved loved ones, my unsaved family members. Please love my co-workers who don't know you. No, God loves them already. We don't plead. We don't persuade God We persuade people to follow Jesus, to be reconciled to God. D.A. Carson, in a book called What is the Gospel, says this. He says, because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That is what one does with news. When you have good news, I mean, what is news? Right? News is something you announce. News is not something you keep to yourself. Have you ever had some really good news and you just can't wait to share it with others? To, you, you got a promotion at work or you, you bought a house, bought a new car, something exciting, a new child in the, the family. You just can't wait to, to let people know. And you know what? And, and now it's a lot easier for us through social media. I see people put up pictures of their newborn babies. Now, I did the same thing with our grandchildren. My social media of choice is Instagram. That's where all my pictures go. And if you check my Instagram, it's all about my grandkids. Because that's what we do. We want to let, let people know I'm a grandfather. I remember that when Karis was born, I had took a picture of her, put her on Instagram, and the caption that I put was, she made me a grandfather today. Like, yes, you know, that's exciting. We want to tell the world, right? We want to tell the world. And, and I was thinking about this because when Bethany, who just had a birthday this week, and she was born 34 years ago this week. Uh, it was during spring break uh, as well. And uh, we were in Corpus. It was just my wife and I and Bethany. Our family was here. We didn't have any family nearby. My brother-in-law lived in, in central Texas. And so, you know, no social media. All I had was a pocket full of quarters to use a payphone. Remember payphones? I had a pocket full of quarters. Uh, I actually had them in a bag. And so after she was born and, and we got to see her and, and Lillian was in recovery and everything was fine, then I, I went, found a payphone, started putting quarters in, making phone calls, telling everybody the good news. I called my, my parents, of course, called them first. And, uh, and, and of course, my, my mother-in-law. And then I, I had a list. Lillian gave me a list of all these people I was going to call and I had enough quarters to make those calls. Oh, I miss those days. But uh, it's different. But the, the point is the same that we still want to tell people because good news uh, is about announcing. It's about letting people know. And that's what, this, um, that's what this quote is about. Because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That is what one does with, with news. And so we're talking about the good news of the gospel and how we have to announce it, we have to declare it. A surrendered life is great, it's a foundation, it's a start, but it's not enough. We have to articulate the message of the gospel. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, a couple of ways I want to leave with you today. First of all, we persuade others with our personal testimony. That's one way you can do it. You can persuade people with your personal 
testimony. Have any of you ever been a witness in a court case? I have. I was called once several years ago as a character witness for a young man who had been one of my students. And all I had to do was just tell the truth about the character of this person, this young man who was on trial. I didn't have to make anything up. I didn't have to to remember some complex explanation. I just had to tell what I knew about him, honestly and as clearly as I could. Because a witness just tells what he has seen or what she has, what she has seen. Now, right before Jesus left his disciples and went back up, uh, to heaven after the resurrection, he told his disciples that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. He's telling them, you're going to be my witnesses. Just a few weeks later, then Peter and John are preaching. They're being a witness. They're being witnesses. And, and, and they got arrested for that because they were preaching about Jesus. They got arrested. And they were brought before a religious council to defend themselves. And as, as part of the judgment against them, the religious leaders told them, don't preach and teach any more about this man, Jesus. We don't want to hear anything about Jesus at all. And I love the response. It's documented in Acts 4.20. Their response was, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, that's what a testimony is. It's just what you have seen and heard. You don't have to remember. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't need a, a degree to tell what you've seen and heard. A witness just tells what he has seen or what she has seen and heard. And so you've got to remember that you are an expert witness. You're an expert witness on your life. You're an expert witness on your life. You're the authority on yourself because you know what your life was like before you came to Jesus and what you are now. And so you're the expert authority. Now, this is why... If we go back to our text, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means, to, uh, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so who knows better than you what your old life was like and what, the, what your new life is like. So if you're going to persuade others to follow Jesus, you can start with your personal testimony, with your story what you were like before you came to Jesus. You are the authority on where you would be right now if you hadn't given your life to the Lord. Because there are people who say, well, I don't have a testimony. You know, I remember when, when I was a teenager in church, there, were, there was a period of time in which it seemed that the people that were getting all the attention were those who had been drug addicts. And then they came to the Lord and had this great testimony and all these church people like me are like, oh, I don't have a testimony. I would never did drugs. Or somebody, I remember hearing a story about a guy, and it was a great testimony. He, before he came to the Lord, he and his wife, you know, their marriage was in, sh- in shambles. And at one time, he ha- held a gun to his wife's head. He was about to kill her. They came to the Lord, and they were testifying. I thought, wow, that is amazing. I don't have a testimony. Well, let me tell you, first of all, we all have a testimony. Because you know your life, because you know your temptations. I want you to think of where you would be if your temptations, 
if the, in the area that you're tempted, if, that, if, the, if there was no restraint, if God hadn't saved you, and there was no restraint, and you allowed yourself to indulge in that immorality, and this sin, and that whatever, where would you be? You're the authority of where you would be right now if you hadn't given your life to the Lord. And in addition to that, maybe you say, you know, I was so lonely at one time. I was in church, but I was lonely. Well, guess what? You have a testimony then. Maybe somebody says, you know, I've just struggled with depression. All my life I've struggled with depression. Well, guess what? You have a testimony. If God is helping you through that, you say, you know, I, I lost my way. I don't know what it was. I left my family. I can't believe I did that. I'm glad I'm back. But well, guess what? You have a story. Whatever your life is and wherever it's gone through, if you can just tell people, I was this, I was depressed, I was lonely, I lost my way. But Jesus changed my life. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be some great thing like I once almost killed my wife. But Jesus saved me. That's great. But if, you, if that's not you, don't make it up. Because there have been people who have made things up. And then they get caught. There was a guy, I won't say his name right now, but he was a Christian comedian. And he made up stories about how he was you know, a, a devil worshiper or something. It turns out he was making things up. And then it was embarrassed. You don't have to make things up. In fact, if people hear, I struggle with depression. And I still do, but Jesus is helping me. Then that connects with people. So use your life. We persuade others with our personal testimony. Secondly, we persuade others with an explanation of the gospel. We have to be able to explain what the gospel is. And here's the good news. We don't have to come up with our own message. We don't have to make up our own message. The message has been given to us. The message is this, and we read this in our passage in, in Uh, Verses 18 and 19. The message is that God no longer counts sins against us if we are in Christ. That's the message. The message is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was already condemned for our sins. We're no longer condemned if we are in Him. He doesn't count our sins against us. The message is that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so this is why... Verse 19, in verse 19, he says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful, what? Message. He's given us a message. This wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we've been given the message, and the message is about Jesus. The message points to Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Let's not confuse the gospel with something else. There are many Christians today who confuse the gospel with politics. They confuse the gospel with a political ideology. And they want to persuade everybody like, you need to believe, you know, you got to be a Republican. I've heard people say, I don't see how somebody can be a Democrat and be a Christian. Others say, how can you be a Republican and be a Christian? you got to come to our side. And, and so they get on social media and they start persuading people, you got to believe this and they're... You know what? It, that's not the gospel. That is, the gospel is about Jesus reconciling us to God. That's the gospel. And if we get confused and we spend all our energy reconciling, uh, not reconciling, but trying to persuade people to our point of view, then we, we lose our way. That's not what we're called to do. When we get distracted by our 
political ideologies and we cease persuading people to follow Jesus. And if we try to persuade them, then we no longer have any moral authority because they're like, all you do is criticize the way I believe. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's keep persuading people to follow Jesus using our own personal testimony and using an explanation of the gospel. Now, let me just say a little bit more about this. I understand, I understand because I, wanna, I want my kids, my grandkids now to grow up in a, in a culture that accepts our beliefs as Christians, our lifestyle as, as followers of Jesus. And so, yeah, I want, I want judges who are going to rule in a way that I think is appropriate according to the scripture. But I'm not called to persuade people to believe that. And, and in fact, look, here's what happens. Uh, here's what happened in history. You, some of you know this, but when Paul was persuaded, he's going around to all these cities I mentioned. He's persuading people to follow him, to follow Jesus, rather. Actually, he did say, uh, follow me as I follow Jesus. So he's persuading people to, to follow Jesus. The other disciples are doing the same thing. They're preaching. They're getting attacked. Some of them were killed. A lot of them were killed. They were tortured and they were killed. The church was being persecuted. The government was not friendly toward Christianity. It was not friendly at all toward Christianity. But the gospel was being spread in a major way. The government was not in, in, in favor of the teaching of Jesus. As we read, they tried to stop them. They, they persecuted them, but the gospel is being spread. But what happened in the year 300, a uh, little after uh, 300, and I forget the exact year, what happened is that the Roman emperor, Constantine, converted to Christianity. And he made Christianity legal in Rome. He made Christianity legal, and so all of a sudden... The persecution slowed down, in some cases stopped. They're like, oh, now the government's on our side. Now we have an emperor who believes like I believe. And so they didn't need to persuade anybody anymore because now the government is telling people, you got to be a Christian. And then the government, Constantine, started persecuting other people who didn't believe like he did because he had converted to Christianity. And so sometimes we think we can just get a president who believes like us Christians and then things will be great. If we can just get judges who believe like us and things will be great. That's not what we're called to do. What happened in, in Rome is that the church stopped advancing the gospel. This is really the beginning of the, of the Roman Catholic Church right at that point because it, the, the spread of the gospel stopped and, and so the followers of Christ settled into, okay, this is nice. Now the government's on our side. Finally somebody in control of government who is not going to persecute us and now is going to believe like us. And so they began, they settled into a routine. There was no more growth, no more reaching out. They began to practice things as in forms of uh, routine and rituals and rites and began to add all kinds of laws. And it wasn't until over a thousand years later when God used Martin Luther to start the Reformation to get the church out of that. See, that's what happens when, when we're, we lose our way. We're trying to persuade people toward a certain ideology instead of, Follow Jesus. And I guarantee you that if you go to countries like China. You go to countries where they don't have somebody leading the country who is, you know, who, who believes all the right things about and says all the right things about Christianity. And, but guess what? The gospel is exploding in those places. It's exploding. 
And then you come to our country where we're, we're coming, yeah, we got the right president in charge, and, uh, but we're not persuading anybody to come to Jesus. Don't confuse the message. The message is clear. The message is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. If we're going to work hard at something, it's about persuading people to follow Jesus, not about persuading them to follow a political ideology. You know, on one occasion, Paul had the opportunity to speak with the Jewish leaders in Rome while he was under arrest. And in fact, the leaders themselves invited him to speak to them. And here's what happened in Acts 28, 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Now I want you to look at these words. He witnessed to them. That's a personal testimony, right? He witnessed to them. He explained to them. Right? We have to explain with words. He tried to persuade them. And some were convinced. That means some were, some were persuaded. Some were convinced. And others were not because we know that this is a spiritual battle. And some will accept the gospel. Others will not. So some were convinced. Some were persuaded. And others would not believe. But I want you to notice those key words because that is exactly what we're called and equipped by God to do. We're called to witness, testify of our own life. We're called to explain the gospel. We're called to persuade, to convince people. And let's not lose track of that. Well, the summer that I spent at this university that I told you about while I was in high school, it was uh, Texas A&I, now it's Texas A&M in Kingsville. It was a great summer for me as a student. It was a great summer for me because I, I, I grew, I learned stuff, and you know, it, was, it was just a good opportunity for me. So it was great. As a student, it was great. As a Christian, not so great. <laughs> I failed uh, on more than one uh, occasion, like with this young lady, to explain the gospel. I actually had another chance. I had another chance. God gave me another chance. And I failed then too. And this other chance was with a guy uh, that I met who was in this program. And he asked me one time, hey, where do you go every Saturday night? Well, I was going to church. I, there was a, a local church that would send somebody to pick me up. Back then, I was a good little Pentecostal kid who went to church every time the doors were open. Remember that? So Saturday night was a men's service, and I was there. I was a high school kid. But I told the pastor, come, you have somebody come pick me up. Of course, Sunday I would go to church. He didn't notice that I was gone Sunday morning because he was sleeping in, this friend of mine. But Saturday night, he, he says, I see somebody come pick you up. He says, where do you go? He says, well, I go to church. Really? On a Saturday night? Yeah, go to church. Then he says this. He says, I want to go with you. I'm like, really? I didn't say why. Maybe I did. I don't know. But I was surprised. I said, yeah, I guess you can go with me. He says, yeah, I want to go with you. I told him. So I said, well, so Saturday night... Uh, Meet out here in front of the dorm about 6.30. So he said, he said, okay, well, I convinced myself that he didn't really want to go to church with me, that he was just trying to be nice. I don't know why I did that. I mean, I, God was giving me a, another opportunity to, to take him to church and explain things and just witness to him. But I, I com- you know how sometimes you convince yourself of something that's not true, but you're just, you just know it's true. So I was sure he didn't want to go to church with me, so I didn't look him up. You think I could have gone to his dorm? Hey, you want to go? Uh, I didn't even wait for him. 
So I'm standing out there. The guy who would come pick me up shows up, and I get in the car. We drive off. As Just as we we're pulling away, I look back, and to my horror, I felt so bad. He's running after the car. He's running out of the dorm, running after the car. He's yelling, and I'll never forget his words. He's yelling. He says, wait for me. I want to go to church with you. And he's running after the car. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did this. And so we stopped, and he went to church with me. But I felt so bad because I thought, God is just giving me another opportunity. I just keep messing up. Why do I do this? You know, sometimes, sometimes a clear message is it's a simple invitation for somebody to come to church with you. Maybe that's the message. A simple invitation. And we have this great opportunity during, during Easter season to do this. A great chance to just say to somebody, hey, why don't you go to church with me? Easter. We're in the middle of the six weeks of Easter, and I've, I've been explaining to you this, this uh, month and last year and the year before that the six weeks of Easter is, is a campaign just to help us focus on inviting people to church. So we spend two weeks praying for them, and I hope that you've been praying for two weeks. I have no way of knowing. I hope that you've been praying for two weeks. And now... This week and next is going to be a week of inviting people, the people that you've been praying for. If you haven't been praying, then start now. I've been praying for a couple that I, I want to invite, and I'm going to invite them this week. And uh, So start now. Start praying for them and uh, asking God to uh, prepare their hearts, that their hearts would be open to your invitation. Say, hey, are you going to church somewhere for Easter? Well, not really. Our family doesn't really go to church. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Well, I don't know. No, really, come to church with me. I'll pick you up or I'll meet you there. Or you can sit with me, just whatever. However, you can persuade them to, to come to church. But this is what we're doing. So we, we just spent two weeks of praying. And now these next two weeks, we'll continue to pray. But now we need to start inviting people. Let's open up. Let's speak up. Let's invite them. Don't make the mistake that I made when I convinced myself, he doesn't really want to come to church with me. There are people that will come to church if you invite them. So this is our calling, to persuade others to follow Jesus. Will you respond? God is waiting for us to respond. He's given us the message. He's changed our lives. The old is past, the new has come. He's changed our lives so that we can just even start with that. Or start with, and I know how I'm tempted, and if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd probably be in jail right now. Because I know my temptations, I know my weaknesses. There's so many ways we can do that. But we need to be willing to respond to Jesus when he says to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will turn you into a soul winner. I'll make you a persuader of people.